You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. In New Orleans, there's a place for granting wishes. The tomb of Marie Laveau. Make three red X's side by side. Knock on her tomb three times. Shout her name to the sky and tell her what you desire. Beautiful Marie Laveau, Queen of New Orleans, please grant my wish. I beg of you, please. And if Marie grants you what you seek, return to her grave and circle your exes. And be sure to leave her an offering to show your thanks. Hello, my dear friend, and welcome back to For the Love of History. I'm TK, and today we're getting a little spooky, a little ooky. We're traveling to the big easy today from the comfort of our homes or cars or wherever you're listening to meet the most famous voodoo queen of them all, Marie Laveau. We'll separate the fact from fiction, get to know the ins and outs of voodoo and hoodoo, and see if we can't conjure up a little magic for ourselves today. So grab your favorite snack, put on some fuzzy socks because it's getting chilly, and let's get into it. Today's episode kind of requires some background knowledge. So we are going to make an information cake. We're going to lay down the basic background information. Then we're going to have some layers of cool stuff and then more background and then, you know, magical, mystical things. And then, you know, repeat that until we get to the end, the icing, if you will, of our podcast cake. (laughs) The final thought. So, let's begin with voodoo and the people who practice it. The Creole of Louisiana, and particularly New Orleans, are the purveyors of all things voodoo. But let me back up really quick. Who are the Creole people? So, in Louisiana, the first white settlers were French. Usually, they were second-born sons of aristocrats who left France to seek adventure in the New World, a.k.a. North America, and specifically Louisiana. So these French men came to be called Creoles and made up the upper crust of New Orleans. They were the fancy pansies. They were the rich people. The word was later used to refer to white Frenchmen as well as people of color in New Orleans. The Creole living in Louisiana at that time intermixed with free people of color, Native Americans, and Acadian people, and they were to become the main practitioners of voodoo in America. So contrary to popular belief, voodoo is not actually related in any way to like devil worship. It's actually a West African, Haitian, and South American religion a religion that's all about healing through dance, song, and ritual. Voodoo, or Voudon, as it was originally called, was brought to the U.S. by enslaved Haitian men in the 1700s. It had to be practiced very secretly in the plantations because white slave drivers were terrified of this religion. The chanting, the dancing, and rituals scared them, but what was more terrifying to them was the hope that voodoo gave those that they had enslaved. Let's talk about some of the main practices of voodoo. 
When I say voodoo, I'm sure you automatically think of shrunken heads, voodoo dolls, the TV show American Horror Story, animal sacrifices, devil worship, all that stuff, right? You know, maybe you think of Disney, which Disney lied to us about voodoo, you guys. The new Princess and the Frog, there's that voodoo guy in it. Voodoo's not like that. It's not like that at all. So once again, Disney lied to us. So the media is wrong and it has done a really good job at portraying voodoo in this terrible light because of racism and fear of the unknown. The word voodoo means spirit or deity in the Fon language of the African kingdom of Daomey, now the country of Benin. Voodoo has a world view encompassing philosophy, medicine, justice, and religion. Its fundamental principle is that everything is a spirit. Humans are spirits who inhabit the visible world, and the unseen world is populated by Iwa, or spirits, and the spirits of ancestors and the recently deceased. All these spirits are believed to live in a mythic land called Genin, a cosmic Africa. The God of the Christian Bible is also understood to be the creator of both the universe and the spirits. The spirits were made by God to help him govern humanity and the natural world. The goal of voodoo is to heal oneself and serve the spirits. Those are the main tenets of the original form of voodoo. New Orleans voodoo is a little different from the traditional West African religion, and there is a great documentary, you guys. It's kind of old, so some of the language is a little outdated. However, it's still a really good look at the inside of voodoo, and it's very unbiased. And also, Leonard Nimoy, the guy who played Spock in Star Trek, does the voiceovers, and it's amazing. And I want Leonard Nimoy to explain everything to me from now on. I need it to happen. But anyways, it's a great documentary, and I will leave a link to it in the show notes. You can go watch it. It's on YouTube. It's fantastic. Moving on. So, the main focus of New Orleans voodoo today is to serve others and influence the outcome of life events through the connection with nature, spirits, and ancestors. Voodoo methods include readings, spiritual baths, specially devised diets, prayer, and personal ceremony. Voodoo is often used to cure anxiety, addictions, depression, loneliness, and other ailments. It seeks to help the hungry, the poor, and the sick. As for the way voodoo is practiced, drums are a huge part of the voodoo religion, as well as singing and dancing. Like I said, practitioners are possessed by the Iwa spirits through the help of priestesses or priests, known as Mambo and Ongan. In New Orleans, the priests and priestesses are also called Mama and Papa. Mama something something and Papa something something, whatever their name is. The possessions are a form of healing and also communication with the gods. When you become possessed, the god comes into your body and then is able to directly communicate with the people in the congregation. That's the belief. 
Those who have been possessed or have witnessed a possession say that it's a really intense feeling and sometimes it can get a little violent with people thrashing about and writhing and moving in ways and dancing very intensely. And on the outside, voodoo can seem kind of intimidating or scary, but honestly, so do many religions if we look at them objectively from the outside. Like, step into a Catholic church and people are drinking the blood of Christ and eating the body of Christ. So there you go, like cannibalism. Baptists dunk people fully underwater for baptisms, casually drowning church members, and then Protestants and other Christian faiths speak in tongues and do faith healings. So everything everything kind of looks scary from the outside if we're being perfectly honest and objective. So let's not judge voodoo too harshly, friend. But unfortunately and unsurprisingly, people in the late 17, early 1800s We're not as understanding and compassionate as we are. So voodoo became connected with Satanism, heathenism, and all sorts of terrible, horrible things, which then led voodoo to being banned and outlawed completely and punishable by death if you were found to be practicing voodoo. That was until... One woman came along and brought voodoo back to the light. She was a healer and she was an exorcist, a purveyor of charms and a dealer of hexes. She walked at night with a giant snake named Zombie. She knew your deepest fears and your darkest desires. She nursed the sick to health and brought hope to the lovesick. Her name was Marie Laveau. Marie Laveau was a Louisiana Creole woman born sometime between 1794 and 1881. You guys know that people back in the Dizay were not very good at keeping records of ordinary things, you know, like birth. So we don't really know exactly when she was born. But what we do know is that she was a beautiful mix of all the different ethnicities and cultures in New Orleans. Her father was a mixed freedman and her mother was a multicultural Creole, making her a Choctaw Native American, African, and of white French descent. I feel like I say this all the time in these kinds of episodes, but we really don't have much information about her early life. People didn't keep records other than her certificate of marriage to Jacques Paris in 1819, which is preserved in the St. Louis Cathedral, New Orleans. We don't have a lot of written primary sources to go on, but what we do have is legend and word of mouth, and I'm fine with that. I'm okay. I'm here for the legends, so let's talk about it. Marie Laveau was said to have walked the streets of the Big Easy like she owned them. She was charismatic, she was personable, she was kind, but also took no shit and could strike fear in the heart of anyone who crossed her path, plantation owner or not. 
She was a devout Catholic all her life and learned the art and religion of voodoo from a man named Dr. John, or Papa John. No relation to the pizza company, Papa John's, just so you know. Dr. John was a super fascinating man who specialized in fortune-telling and making charms. So she learned everything she knew from him. But Marie Laveau was not born the voodoo queen of New Orleans. She got her education as a hairdresser and became a fan favorite of the rich white ladies of New Orleans. And this came with some major perks, friend. There is something about sitting in a salon chair that makes you want to spill your guts and just tell them everything, your deepest, darkest secrets. And boy, did these ladies spill the tea and the gossip about everything. Marie listened to their gossip and used it to her advantage, making it seem like she knew things that she shouldn't. Many took this as her being able to read minds or predict the future. And you know what? Maybe she could. I don't know. It's a legend after all. She also appeared to excel at obtaining information on her wealthy voodoo patrons by instilling fear in their servants, whom she either paid off or cured of mysterious ailments. I'm talking about blackmail, you guys. There's a little bit of blackmail going on. But wait a minute, TK. You said white voodoo clients. Didn't you say that voodoo was outlawed and people could be killed because... The white slave owners didn't like it. Well, you're right. And you're very observant. Thank you for listening. But one of the interesting and really cool aspects of voodoo is its adaptability and openness to change. And also, the lengths people will go to in order to get something that they really, really want. And with a charismatic and secret-knowing lady like Marie... She brought voodoo into the mainstream. Marie was able to rise to such a prominent position in New York, in New York, in New Orleans through a combination of her strong personality, charity work, and natural flair for the theatrics, and her vast knowledge of all the hot gossip of the New Orleans people made them both love and fear her. She was also super smart and really sneaky and was able to do one more little thing to push voodoo into the mainstream and make it more palatable to the white population. She combined the predominant religion of Louisiana, which was Catholicism, with voodoo. She mixed holy water, incense, statues of the saints, and Christian prayers all with voodoo. And the upper class New Orleans society was like, okay, you know what? I know this saint. I'm familiar with holy water. I can get into this voodoo business. They were all about it so much that Marie was able to make a living from her voodoo practices and hold public events for her voodoo congregation. So let's take it back to the voodoo and the hoodoo. Hoodoo is a real word, actually. I didn't think it was. Hoodoo means magical rituals associated with voodoo, and that's what we're going to talk about, the hoodoo part of voodoo. So what kind of rituals and things did Marie Laveau do to earn her money and practice her religion? 
The first and probably most profitable thing that she did was make something called a grigri, which is an amulet originating in Africa, which is believed to protect the wearer from evil or bring luck and was also used as birth control. I'm not trying to throw shade on the voodoo religion. However, might I suggest not using a lucky charm as a form of birth control? Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> but anyways, it looks just like a little brown pouch that you hang around your neck or attached somewhere, but it was so much more than just a little brown bag. In the voodoo religion, they are very powerful amulets filled with herbs and spells depending on what you want to accomplish with it. Marie also made charms, magical powders guaranteed to cure ailments. She also granted desires, you know, to do things like destroy one's enemy or make somebody fall in love with you. She also gave love advice. She told fortunes. But like I said, her biggest hit was the prepared custom grigris for anyone needing to affect a cure, a charm, or a hex. She would do this for both people who were members of the voodoo religion and those who were just looking for advice or help or to get someone to fall in love with them. She also made voodoo dolls for healing. If you're following me on the For the Love of History Instagram, first of all, thank you. And if you're not, what are you doing? You're missing out because the people who already follow me on Instagram know about voodoo dolls. But I'm going to tell you again, and I'm going to give you a little bit more information. So voodoo dolls are not for hurting people. They're not for torture in any way. They're actually sources of power. On the inside of voodoo dolls is a little bundle of different kinds of herbs. Herbs that have different meanings and that give off different kinds of power. When you want to tap into that power, you hammer a nail in. You stick a nail into the center and it releases the power so that you can get a little extra boost. Also, when voodoo dolls are hung from trees in ceremonies, they are intended to open up and maintain lines of communication between the living and the recently deceased. But it doesn't stop there. When voodoo dolls are nailed to trees upside down, they are intended to make their creator stop caring for someone who is bad for them. So if you got a toxic person in your life, Marie Laveau recommends a voodoo doll Tack that sucker up on a tree and watch that toxic person get out of your life. But maybe consult. Consult with an actual voodoo practitioner before you do that. But the voodoo magic of the voodoo doll does not stop there. They are also used to invoke Iwa, which are the spirits, for means of healing, guidance, or whatever need the voodoo practitioner has. Marie Laveau also dealt in some not so PG things. She ran a place called the Mason Blanche or the White House, not, not the Washington Avenue White House. <laughs> this White House was built for secret voodoo meetings and late night liaisons between white men and black women. The main focus of this place was the secret voodoo meetings, but not all of Marie Laveau's voodoo meetings were held in secret. Eventually, she was able to hold rituals 
outside in public, and Marie Laveau made her way all over New Orleans, spreading voodoo. Okay, my friend, I have a weak confession to make. <laughs> there are two Marie Laveaux. Dun, dun, dun. So Marie Laveau had many children, but one daughter in particular was the spitting image of her. Marie was growing older, and how could a voodoo queen grow old and still hold power? So the two of them concocted a plan and led the community to believe that Marie Laveau wasn't actually aging. By making her daughter take Marie the First's place, her daughter would wear her mother's clothes and carry on in her mother's professional footsteps, leading everyone to think that Marie's powers were so strong that she could stay young for forever. But supposedly, Marie II was a bit more wicked than her mother. Marie II continued to be a hairdresser to the New Orleans affluent white women, and she used their secrets to concoct money-making schemes disguised as supernatural powers. And you know what? Get it, girl. She was a businesswoman, so props to her. But the ruse couldn't last forever. Around 1875, Marie Laveau gave her last performance and announced that she was retiring to her home on peaceful St. Anne Street in the old quarter of New Orleans. But she never completely retired. She continued her work until at least 1875, when she is said to have been active visiting the poor and imprisoned, and still giving readings in her home and making the occasional gree-gree. On June 15, 1881, Marie Laveau died peacefully at her St. Anne Street home at the age of 86. Eminent writer Lafsadio Haran referred to her as one of the kindest women who ever lived. By this time in her life, Marie had grown into a national celebrity, and her fame guaranteed prominent obituaries in the New Orleans Times and the New York Times. Reporters painted her in the most glorious terms and in some not-so-glorious terms. There were two portrayals of Marie Laveau in the newspapers. One, a saintly figure who nursed the sick and prayed for the poor and the diseased and the condemned. And the second, a wicked voodoo queen that would strike a man down for looking at her wrong. One local newspaper once referred to her as the notorious hag who reigns over the ignorant and superstitious as the queen of the voodoos. Yet others describe her as a person who healed the sick and was regarded by many admirers as a living saint due to her humanitarian work. Rich and poor sought out the aid of her dark powers to control lovers, gain fame and fortune, become pregnant, and exact revenge. So perhaps she was both of those things. And in all honesty, I think she was because humans are like onions. They got lots of layers. And like my dad says, you don't always see the same layer everyone else does. Hashtag dad wisdom.
So we have come to our final thought, friend. And I thought I would share with you a super cool Marie Laveau legend. There is no actual written record of this really happening. It's just an oral history, but I think it's still cool. So here it goes. There was a man living in New Orleans who had a daughter. They weren't a rich family, but the daughter was very beautiful and caught the eye of an extremely rich man. We're talking Oprah money rich. The rich man wanted to marry the daughter, and the dad was like, hell yeah. But the daughter was like, hell no, not having any of that. He's gross and old. So she refused to marry him. The two men did everything they could to force her to marry the rich man, but she would not budge. She tried to want her way, so they locked her in a room and went to none other than Marie Laveau for help. They told Marie of the situation, and she agreed to help. Marie told the man to keep this special pouch filled with the testicles of a rabbit next to his own testicles inside his pants for three days, and then gave them a special potion for the daughter to drink. And she advised the men to not let the daughter out of the room and not let the rich man see her until the wedding day. The rich man kept the balls next to his balls and the father and the rich man happily gave the daughter the potion and left her be. After three days, they opened up the door and let her out and asked her if she would reconsider the marriage proposal. And she did. She said yes. She agreed to marry the rich, old, gross man. I'm sure he was gross. I don't know. I'm adding this. <laughs> they had the wedding, and the daughter was now the wife of the very rich dude. But the night of the wedding, the rich man fell ill and died, leaving the daughter, the lawful heir, to all that Oprah money. She was rich and she disowned her father, no longer needing him for financial stability and also being pissed that he made her marry that gross rich man. She didn't need him any longer. And later in her life, she married for love. Aww. That's cute, isn't it? At the beginning, we thought, oh no, Marie Laveau, don't make this poor girl marry this gross guy. But in the end, it turned out great. It's a good story. It's a really good story. Alrighty, friend, that's all I have for you today. Thank you a million times. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did enjoy it, you could leave, you know, a little review. Maybe subscribe. Drop a little five-star love down there. You got time. I know you do. And you know what? If you want more For the Love of History content, you can head over to the Instagram at for the love of underscore history and follow along with daily history quizzes, cool blog posts, fun life in Japan stuff. I know we've moved to an every other week episode schedule, so if you're needing a little more TK in your life, a little more for the love of history in your week. The Instagram is a great place for you to find that. But I'm going to stop talking now. I hope that you have a great night, a great rest of your week, <laughs> a great rest of your whatever. <laughs> 
(laughs) Do something nice for yourself today because you're awesome and you deserve it. And I'll see you on October 30th when we uncover the first witch of the Salem witch trials. (laughs) Okay, bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. (laughs) 